This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9706 AM on Friday, the 24th of February. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Philip C. In half an hour, we're going to discuss what Moscow's endgame is for the ongoing war in Ukraine. This will be followed an hour later at 8.30 AM with a look at whether Kyiv can withstand an extended military grind. It's part of our reflections on the one-year mark of the outbreak of the war in Ukraine. Uh, but as always, we're going to kickstart this Friday morning with a look at how global markets closed overnight. Ooh, US markets experienced a roller coaster week. But however, in the end, Dow was up 0.3%, S&P 500 up 0.5%, and the Nasdaq was up 0.7%. Conversely, though, the Asian markets, Nikkei was close, but Hang Seng was down 0.4%, Shanghai Composite down 0.1%, Singapore's STI down 1.1%, as well as FBM KLCI, also in negative territory down 0.4%. So a study in contrasts there, red in Asia, well, green over yep. in the US. For some insights on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Tim Mulholland, president at TGM Limited in Chicago. Good morning, Tim. Now the Fed's writing is on the wall. Higher rates are here to stay. How will their pronouncements affect the spread between 2 and 10-year US treasuries, which I think is currently around 0.8%? Is yield curve inverted? going to be a permanent feature? Yeah, I think yield curve inversion certainly will be as long as the Fed stays on this path. Uh, and But I also think in the, the forwards, given the Fed on this path, are going to pressure the long end, as you've been seeing as well. But yes, flatter so long as the Fed stays uh, the course here. And we're at, what, five and a quarter, five and a half now is what the market sees as a terminal rate. Uh, and I think this uh, Fed pivot's kind of off the table, which I thought was a little bit... Uh, you know, premature, to say the least, to begin with. But if the Fed were to back off and if they were to get a little more dovish and if there were more signs that they were going to stop, then you'll start seeing the curve steepen a little bit, in my view. Or if you get runaway inflation again. Okay, Okay. so uh, Tim, would one of these signs be the personal consumption expenditure report that's coming out later today? I mean, it's the Fed's preferred price gauge. Uh, What are your expectations in terms of that number? And do you think it will then change the terminal rate that the street is expecting? Well, I think they've got that factored in already. In the PCE today, uh, personal consumption expenditures were uh, revised higher. Uh, They were a little bit very robust. So I think the odds are that the PCE will be in line with what the CPI was, which I believe is going to be somewhere like around, you know, close to 5% or so. And you know, when they get to five percent, that would tell me that they're just neutral uh, at best. So I think it is going to be a big number tomorrow, and and I think it's going to dictate the direction. My bet is that it's going to be in similar to what the CPI did. So I'm thinking a little bit uh, negative for the market. Okay, but does this then mean that with the Fed continuing to be very hawkish, you're you're likely to see a hard landing for the for the U.S. economy? Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, ultimately, if they continue, uh, it will be a hard landing. Now the talk is no landing, which is really inflationary. But I think, you're, you know, you're not looking at a recession, you're looking at a, uh, you know, still the funds rate should to be true here. The funds rate to be neutral has to be uh, where nominal GDP is. And I'm saying nominal GDP is probably around, let's say, 6%. And that's even 
being conservative, let's say, but let's say 6%. That's where the Fed would be really uh, neutral. But so, okay, so you hit the interest where borrowing, uh, like lending, where in a mortgage back or auto loans, that sector's been affected, but the service sector has been totally unaffected by these rates. And even look at uh, um, Domino's Pizza, you know, for example, they had their earnings, they suck a crushed because they don't have enough drivers. So they're going to have to bid higher prices. This is where the service sector it's endemic, I think, and embedded, and inflation is more structural than many like to believe. Yeah, because the services sector is sucking out all the jobs, right? Hence that 500,000 job print number here, which helps me then, un- try if you can help me understand, right, the Nasdaq returned a 10% return year to date, but if you contrast it with the S&P 500, it was only at 4%. Is this a function of the baseline, or is it a function of earnings coming out with the tech companies really being hard on the cost and by, by doing the layoffs? You know, there was a lot of the tax, uh, year-end tax selling in December. So they came out of the box hot for these beaten-down tech darlings, which the market still likes and still looking for growth. And also, if you look at, you know, the bot 10-year yields went from, what, 3.7, 3 and 3 quarters percent down to 3.4% or 3.35. So you had interest rates, long end of the market, back off, which I think further supported the nasdaq or growth but you know you're looking at five stocks again that are dominating everything in the nasdaq and you know so again it's that index uh, effect right now um but yeah you did see that and i think it was a snapback from beaten down sector and then the, conversely what they what was liquidated was all the defensive sectors that performed well last year so i think it was a little realignment now you know we'll see i, I think you're gonna settle back in. I, I don't believe you're gonna see a runaway growth uh you know market again runaway growth bid for growth uh, like you did before but i think that was a snapback a january effect if you will Hmm. and if we take a look at the energy sector tim it was arguably the best performing sector on the s&p index in 2022 but it's down right now about 7.7 percent a month to date and 5.2 percent for the year so what factors are mediating such a drastic change in this sector and what's your outlook for the remainder of 2023 i suppose well, it was an unwind of what worked last year. You know, the energy was the best performer. Um, and I think that was some unwind. Also, this release of the strategic petroleum reserve was another thing um, that played into the you know supply. And also the warmer weather that we had, I think, from a uh, you know, demand side wasn't what they had hoped. So I think that's what. But, you know, the market backed up with the exception of natural gas to what was, you know, relatively high level. So it's found support at what used to be a high level for energy prices. And that's also one other factor, I think, that really plays into uh, these uh, markets, and especially going back to even the growth. This quantitative tightening really hasn't tightened yet. The Fed's reduced their balance sheet by $500 billion, which seems like a lot, but the big scope, not really on schedule. But Bank of Japan and Bank of China and also the Treasury with this debt limit and drawing down reserves at the Fed or balances at the Fed served to more than offset what the Fed had done. So my point is, is I think with the economy being stronger than it is, I think you're going to start, I think you're going to see the energy sector probably a good bid right here. I think it's a good place to be buying. And I think even some nat gas uh, type companies I, I'm kind of looking at, but I think the energy sector is still good from a cash flow perspective, unless we're going to go into a major recession and then all bets are off. But I don't see that happening right now. Tim, thanks as always for the chat. That was Tim Mulholland, president at TJM Limited in Chicago, giving us his take on the uh, trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead.
Yeah, so interesting stuff. We don't know in the sense that we don't know where the Fed is heading, but it probably is heading upwards in terms of the terminal rate. Will this then mean that the US will move into a hard landing? Tim well, doesn't, that, that's your doesn't question, really right? think, right? Think <clears throat> so. Yeah, he doesn't think so. I think what was so interesting was that contrast between, you know, tech stocks and S&P because the services sector is very much buoyant. So it's kind of not correlated with the performance of the stocks. But as he was saying just now, there's this whole tech sell-off in December. Well, turning our attention to some of the earnings that have come out overnight, let's start with Beyond Meat. They reported a narrower than expected loss for the fourth quarter, despite a 40% drop in sales. The company forecast its full year revenue to be above market estimates and said it was looking to control costs, sending shares surging 14% after hours. For the fourth quarter, Beyond reported a net loss of $67 million, so $1.05 per share, 17% narrower than a net loss of $80.4 million or $1.27 per share a year earlier. Net sales dropped 21% to $80 million. I'm pretty surprised with by this number. I thought like going vegan was the whole trend now. No, apparently post-pandemic, people want to eat the real thing. And, you know, it's questions about the Fed and actually it was also a question about the cost because it's mm. not cheap. So the company is actually forecasting its sales to shrink further this year. Revenue will range between 375 to $415 million. Now, so rather than growing sales, Beyond Meat's primary business goal is to become cash flow positive. And as a result, gross margins are supposed to be in the low double digits. But if you look at the street, clearly nobody likes this name, okay, seriously. 18 analysts cover it, 9 holes, 9 cells. Consensus target price for the stock, 11 dollars and 75 cents last done price during regular market hours it was already up 17 dollars and 40 cents up four cents and i gather this stock has a lot of short selling cover at the moment the stock is already up more than 30 percent on a year-to-date basis so, so expect a lot of volatility yeah. on this name so probably their strategy was a mistake <laughs> I see what you did there, Phil. I do see what you did there. Yes, uh, it's Friday. Please excuse him, folks. Well, turning to our, our attention to the next earnings report, we have Warner Bro- Warner Brothers Discovery. They posted a large loss of 2.1 billion US dollars in the fourth quarter, and this reflects ongoing uh, charges related to the restructuring of the merged media companies. Revenue came in at 11 billion dollars, lower than analyst consensus estimate of nearly. $11.36 billion and Warner Brothers Discovery reported a loss of $0.86 cents per share. Yes, versus expectations of $0.21 cent per share loss. Now, before tax EBITDA was at about $2.6 billion, modestly exceeding analyst forecast of $2.58 billion. Now, if you break down the segments, the company's TV network segment, which includes table, cable TV channels like TNT, TBS and Discovery, decreased 6% to roughly $5.5 billion as advertising revenue took a drop in particular. Well, it doesn't seem to matter. The street loves it. It's up 66% on a year-to-date basis. But in terms of consensus numbers, not so much because most are, uh, well, 14 buys, 12 holes and one sell. So about evenly divided stocks actually consensus price, 19 US dollars and 39 cents. Last time price during regular market hours was 15 US dollars and 73 cents, up 31 cents. By the way, Netflix, of course, a competitor. Did you realize that they're lowering prices in this region? Apparently, they're lowering prices in a few countries which they consider uh, lower economic countries. I see. Does that, that include us? Yes. Yes, it includes us. Did you not receive the email? Oh, 
Obviously not. Yeah, we know that right. Check my junk inbox. Inbox, but you know what? I love HBO Max, which is actually what Warner Brothers owns because they have White Lotus. I love that series. It's an incredible series here. So if you look at their streaming services like HBO Max and Discovery Plus, its global direct to consumer streaming subscriber base increased one point one million to ninety six point one million by the end of this quarter. All right, I think we can squeeze in one more earnings report, and that's Grab. They have brought forward their profit. Profitability target after posting a narrower quarterly loss and strong revenue growth. This was helped by reduced spending by the Southeast Asian ride hailing and food delivery provider. The stock jumped 8% in pre-market trading after the company said it expects to reach positive adjusted EBITDA in the final quarter of 2023. Previously, though, it expected to hit that goal in the second half of 2024. So adjusted EBITDA loss for the fourth quarter narrowed to $111 million from a loss of $305 million a year ago. Okay, so what are they forecasting for 2023? Revenue to be as much as $2.3 billion. But folks... You can still expect losses because it's going to be, I like the way they term it, as little, not as much, as <laughs> little as $275 million. The stock is actually flat on a year-to-date basis. If you look at the street, do they like this name because you want to be part of a super app? Um, yes, 19 buys, 3 holes, 4 sells, consensus target price, $4.32, 4, 4, 4 US dollars, I'm right, 4 US dollars and 32 cents. Regular market hours, it was actually down 29 cents to $3.21. Just remember, guys, it debuted at around, what, 13 US dollars? Mm. It has fallen from grace. There we go. 7.19 a.m. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll come back to look at more top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.